Good afternoon. I'm very glad to see everybody here. Um, before I get started, I want to say I'm, my family and I are very glad to be back here. Uh, when I was a young man, some of the best years of my life was spent growing up here, and y'all put up with a rambunctious young man <laughs> and let me hang around, and I appreciate that. And we are very glad to be back. I've always looked for some way to be back here. And in a way, now we are. And so we're very thankful to be here. And without any more, I want to talk about the lesson tonight. The lesson is good works. Um, there it is. Uh, Titus 2, 13 and 14. We're going to get our opening reading from there. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So when you think of the word zealous, it's somebody who's passionate, devoted, committed to good works, enthusiastic, energetic about good works you know sometimes when I plug myself into that scenario I don't I don't see those traits in me I feel like good works are a good thing to do and if I get a chance I might try to do something but that doesn't sound like what the Bible was talking about here he said somebody's zealous somebody looking for the opportunity to do good works 2 Timothy 3, 13-17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That notice the man of God, that the man of God may be, perfectly, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we see that what Jesus expecting from, is expecting from his peculiar people that he has now is good works. And it, said, it tells us that the Bible gives us everything we need to know what to do for these good works. And Jesus gives us the ultimate example. Well, not the ultimate example. The ultimate example is his death on the cross for us. But he was setting an example for his apostles. And let's look at John 13. We're going to read 3 through 5, and then we're going to skip down through 12 through 17. And knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, we're going to pause there and just say he was fully aware of his deity and his power. He knew exactly where he was in the world. Anyway, in verse 4, he riseth up from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now let's skip down to verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and had sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I always know something important is coming after that. He says, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happier ye if ye do these things. 
So Christ's example teaches us that no one's above being a servant. Him being the Lord and Savior took, on, took this very humble job of washing the feet of the disciples. Of His creation. This, these were peasants to Him, you know, and He washed their feet. And so He's given us the example that that's what He would like for us to do. You know, there's a religion out there that I know of that they make a big deal out of washing feet. They'll quarterly or something they all get around and wash each other's feet and I think they're missing the point the point is even if you have to abase yourself to be a servant to somebody that's what Jesus is wanting us to do uh, Galatians 6 and 10 as ye have therefore opportunity let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith so he says, unto all men, but especially your fellow Christians. Let's look at Exodus 23, 4 and 5. He said, if you meet your neighbor's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. Now let's go back. I got underlined the word enemy. I said neighbor. If you meet your enemy's ox. This is your enemy. This isn't somebody from church. This isn't even a family member or somebody that you're friend with at work. This is the enemy we're talking about. And if you see him having trouble, he says, you've got to go back and help him. Reading on, if you see the ass of him that hateth thee, this guy hates you. Lying under his burden and wouldest forbear, which means to hold back to help him. He says, thou shalt surely help with him. He said, you should surely help this person. These are your enemies. These are people that might not do the same for you. Some would ask, why would God ask this of me? Well, maybe to teach us humility. You know, to humble yourself to somebody who you know is not your friend. Or what better way to mend fences? It could change your relationship with that person. It's hard to stay mad at someone who went out of their way to help you in your time of need. Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 43, 44, he says about the same thing. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So our good works must go to those who are deserving and also to those who we feel like maybe aren't so deserving. Maybe to those who wouldn't do the same for us. 1 John 3, 17 and 18. But whosoever hath this world's goods, which means you have everything you need in abundance, and seeth his brother has, have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, then he asks a question, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So if you have plenty, and you see he doesn't have plenty, but... That's not your problem. You know, he says, how is the love of God in you? My little children, let us not love and word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, you can, you can proclaim a lot of love in words, and it doesn't cost you a thing. But sometimes when you actually do it in deed, it's going to cost you a little something. But that's what he's expecting us to do. The Bible says, let your actions show your love, not your words. 
And he says, how can the love of God dwell in you if you don't have good works towards others? Proverbs 24, 11 through 12. He said, if thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death. Here again, forbear means hold back. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain. And we're going to pause here for a minute. You know, this almost seems like you could be putting yourself in a potentially dangerous situation. These people were ready to fixing to die somehow. And he says, if you see this and you forbear, you think, oh, no, I'm not going to get involved with that. If thou sayest, continuing on, behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth the soul, doth he not know it? And shall he not render to every man according to his works? So God knows what we're capable of. He knows that there's something we could have done and chose not to do it. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. It says, You are the light of the earth, or sorry, the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You know, we read across this, and, you know, it's one we've all heard, but this is a very strong statement here. He says, if you're not being useful to the Lord, you're good for nothing. You know, salt, when it's not useful to us, we put it out there for traction on the ground. He says, that's throw it under the feet of men. If we allow ourselves to become unuseful in the kingdom, what good are we to the work of the Lord? If we're not doing God's business, we are useless, useless to him. Matthew 5, 14 and 15 says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto them, giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, and I inserted the question why here, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The point we want to get from this verse is we don't do the good works for ourselves and to make ourselves look good. We do the good works to point to the Father which is in heaven. As good deed, as Christians, our good deeds glorify the Father. They point to the Father. Next, we are to teach others good deeds. This isn't this isn't just for ourselves. We need to be considered about, consider those around us. Hebrews 10, 24, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Titus 3, 14, And, said, and let ours learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. Now ours refers to our children, our family, our people. Those we influence. He says, and let ours learn. So you're making sure those around you also know to do good works. Also talks about maintain. Maintain means to cause something to exist or to continue. We are to teach our children to cause these good works to continue. They need to see it in us and then we need to teach them how to be a part of it. Where they can also do the same thing. Titus 2, 6, and 7, Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, 
and all things showing thyself, notice, a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. First of all, exhort means to strongly urge. You know, not, not just in passing by. You know, you might all do something good. He said you need to strongly urge them to do good works. Notice also he said a pattern of good works. This doesn't sound like something that is spotty or that seldom happens, but something that we should be consistently doing. We should be ones who are counted on to do works, good works and known for our good works. Uh, I don't have it on here, but remember the lady that died, Dorcas, and they were talking about, they were laid all of her stuff out there, all the good works she did for the Lord. She was known for her good works. So we should help others learn to be useful in the kingdom. 1 Timothy 6, 17, 18, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing, willing to communicate. So he charges those who are capable of doing more to do so. And to remember that all their blessings come from the Lord and to use those blessings for good works. 1 Thessalonians 1 and 3. It says, remembering without ceasing. That's kind of a, it sounds like zealous, doesn't it? Consistent, passionate about it. It says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Why would they live this way? Look at Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ also unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This is why God created us. He wanted us to be about good works. Romans 12, 3 and 4. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So although not everybody is capable of doing everything, we're all capable of doing something. Working together as a whole, doing the work of God. It's like this ma a machine or a car. A car has all these parts, and all those parts are used to get it down the road. But when it's all said and done, it all makes up a car. And that's how we are for the church. We're all different parts, but when we're all said and done, we're making up the church. Romans 12, 5 through 8 so we being many or one body in Christ and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. I'm going to pause for a little bit on that, I, I, on the mercy with cheerfulness. 
What good is a good deed if it's not done with love or cheerfully? We must have the right attitude when we're doing for others. Not like it's bothering us or it's, it's really putting us out to get this done. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.13 For though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, which is love, it profiteth me nothing. So it's, we need to have the right attitude when we're doing these things. Now also going back to that verse there, we want to talk a little bit about the unprofitable servant. In that story, there was three servants. They were all three given different jobs or different abilities. One had five, one had two, one had three. And God expected them all to go do something with it. I want you to notice he didn't give them all five. He knows your limitations. He's not going to give you something that you can't handle. That's why the one just had one ability. But he still expected them to do something with it. And as we know, the five did well. He got five more. The two did well. He got four more. The one talent guy, he didn't do anything with it. He hid it. Maybe even made excuses for it. And we'll pick up our reading in Matthew 25, 26 to 30. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I had not strown. Thou oughtest therefore have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, he that hath, and he shall have abundance. And I think that what that's saying, when you use your talents, you grow in them. And if you don't use your talents, you lose them. For unto every one, verse 29, for every one that hath shall be given, he that hath, and he shall have abundance, for, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And listen to what he says here, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He didn't give the unprofitable servant a pass. He didn't make excuses for him. It's kind of like what we was talking about the salt. He didn't give him a pat. The people that were the salt that had lost its savor, he said, they're no good to me. And here, he, he, this servant, it, it was a terrible end for him. So we see that God takes it seriously. We need to be doing something with what we have. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As every man hath received a gift, gift, even so, minister the same one to another. As good stewards, you know, we talked about stewards this morning. But this is good stewards of your abilities. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do so as of the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. So God expects us to be good stewards of our abilities. And here again we do all things to give God to glory. Why do we do this? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. James 1.27 says pure religion. And pure means basic. Just basic religion here. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, 
to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep thyself unspotted from the world. He said that's just basic religion right there. James 2, 15 through 17. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? See, here we're back to words. We're just giving them words. You can love a lot with words, but it didn't do anything for them. He said, What did that profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. So faith without works is dead faith. Faith does not exhibit its ability without works. You show your faith by doing what the Lord has asked you to do. In conclusion... Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And why should we do this? Let's look at Hebrews 6.10-12. through 12. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. God sees it, and He's not going to forget it. He'll know that you did that. If you do something and nobody else knows you did it, God saw it. He realizes what you did. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire, now here, listen, every one of you to show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So unlike the slothful man who received outer darkness, and gnashing of teeth. If we're followers of Christ and we do the work that He has asked us to do, we inherit a promise, which is a home in heaven. You know, we haven't spoken on salvation this evening, but we know that God accepts all people who believe and repent from their sins and confess His Son's name in baptism. We do know that. When you are baptized, that sin counter resets to zero. And you're washed clean in the eyes of God. And you can start fresh living life of one of, of one of God's children. Or maybe you've been saved but feel like you've lost your way. You've lost sight of your Christian living. The Father is also always waiting for you to return. You know, they talked about the prodigal son this morning. He was there. He was looking for him. He was waiting for him to come home. God's children are always forgiven when they confess their sins and come to Him humbly in prayer. If there's one of either class, would you come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song?